Have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's pretty impressive. And oh, really? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Impressive, like just yeah, you take it however you want. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I was hoping that you'd pick up. No. Let your heart be. Is it light? I have no idea. Light. Do they mean like light, like be bright, or light, like don't be worrisome? Let your heart be light, carefree. I have no idea. From now on, our troubles will be far away. Yeah, it probably has to do with no, with being care, carefree because the next line sure. talks about troubles will be far away. And, uh, yeah, okay. Well, this is this is just jujitsu, the Christmas episode where we analyze. It's Christmas. This famous is a Christmas ju- episode. It's <laughs> a little early. <laughs> it, it is early. Uh, we but we had the Christmas, uh, the Halloween episode, the Thanksgiving episode. I just kind of wanted to. This is the Christmas month. Uh, oh, we're okay. just going to do a whole month of Christmas episodes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And you're going to talk about your favorite Christmas carols. I, I can't do that. Oh, please. We go Christmas caroling every year. <laughs> we do? We do. And you are you, you like to dress up like someone from the 1800s with like a big top hat and very like uh, like a, a, a like a long-tailed coat. And you have big hand warmers. Amazing. You have these memories of things I don't recall. Oh, please. You, you love to roast chestnuts over I, open fires. I need to like... <laughs> I need to have my head checked because clearly I'm... I'm missing large fragments of history. We do have our jujitsu Christmas party. We do it's, on it's Saturday. This Saturday, yeah. Yeah. Would you ever consider dressing up as Santa Claus? I've I've dressed up as Santa Claus before. When? Like years ago, um, when. Um, so in Brazil, Christmas is celebrated on the twenty fourth, not twenty fifth, and Chris and then Santa comes in and gives kids the gifts like on on Friday night. And uh, one time it was my turn to be Santa. So you did it as a child? No, as an adult. So you went back to Brazil and did it there? No, no, no. Like when I was in California, like with my little brother and my little cousins and stuff. Now, does Santa in Brazil look different from the Santa here? Does he have like no. the same outfit and everything? Same, same outfit. That's the Coca-Cola product, right? It is. I didn't know if that was universal to pretty much to all the different countries. Okay. Well, at least at least in the Americas for sure. Did you do the laugh and everything? I tried. Can I hear it? No. What? <laughs> just pretend I'm your young brother looking at you, just bright eyed on a Christmas morning, Christmas Eve. Oh, morning. I, I I heard I was a horrible Santa. I'm not quite sure why. Did you had the beard on too? Yep. I had like pillows and stuff underneath the, the costume and everything. So if I can get you a Santa costume by Saturday. No. <laughs> what if there are children there and that would make them happy? I, I don't care. <laughs> Listen, you're, it is your school. You Part of your job is, is making See, morale the, high. I, that, that is correct. And so that's what we need is a not, Santa Claus. Not by lying to them. No, but we'll say, hey, Croiler Santa Claus. So there's no lies. They'll just go, oh, it's nice to see you play along with us. And everyone will, it'll, it'll be like a bonding experience. For no, I don't think so. If I dress up as an elf with you, will you dress up as Santa Claus? No, but you can dress up as an elf, though. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, one of the many things I'll add to the list that you just won't play along with. <laughs> All right, this is episode 45. That means 5 till 50. We should do something special for our 50th episode. 52. What do you mean 52? We'll do something special in 52. Why? Because that's a whole year. That's a year mark, yeah. 
Yeah, but 52 just doesn't sound as special. Fine, we can do something for 50. Like a one-year anniversary. Oh, we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary. What are you going to do for me? <laughs> do you have like a romantic <laughs> dinner plan? No, I, I, I don't. You better start. Yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. You've talked before that you like to you like to cook, so. Uh, I'll get right on that. I, you like to cook? You can make me a nice drink. Yeah, I will, uh, I, I will, I will. I'll, I'll put that on the to-do list. All right. So there, everyone heard. We're going to have a one-year anniversary. We'll do, we'll do a little something for the 50th. And then for our one-year anniversary, that's how I'm going to keep referring to it. Okay. For Croiler and mine's one-year anniversary, <laughs> we will have a little celebration. Uh, so you can feel free to send your well wishes. Uh, we made it one year. Here's to uh, 50 more. Amen. All right. Episode 45. This is... BJJ Giants series, Hicks and Gracie, part two. So, last episode, you had a, uh, you did one, th- you did something you don't do often, and you were dramatic. You I left was? us, yeah, you oh, left us with okay. a cliffhanger. Okay. You, we were going through the Hickson and Duarte. Yeah, it's where like Hickson beat him the second time when he was trying to like invade the school. Hickson came out and beat him. Well, yes, we we mm-hmm. we, we went with. Them fighting on the beach. Yep. And then he shows up to the school. People come outside. Your grandpa's out there. A cop's out there. He right. shoots the gun into the air. Hickson yeah. never fought again. That was it. No, no. He, he retired. He, he, he fought again. He just didn't fight Duarte again. Um, so he went from there. And this would have been, he was been, early 20s, yeah. I think. Like very early 20s. Well, I think Duarte was early 20s. I think Hickson was maybe close to 30. So at this point, he he's respected in Brazil, right? But outside of Brazil, he's still Nobody. no one knows who he is. No, and and you know this is roughly around the time where maybe a little bit before like the UFC was a thing, you know, here in the United States. And Hickson went to Japan. Uh, he came to America first. He he was here for a while. There's pictures of him, you know, with his you know late '80s haircut and all that um, mullet. No, no, no more, more like a surfer haircut, you know. Did uh when when he's here, what was he doing for that brief period of time? Just training with people? Just yeah, he was he was teaching out of a garage, like the Gracie garage thing, like that that came because a lot of the Gracies when they first started, they would teach out of their garage so they could save money. Did most of them start out in Southern California? Yeah. Do you know why that was? Yeah, because um, California is very close to Brazil as far as the weather goes. And so they all just kind of started migrating. Yeah, it'd there. be weird if Brazilians moved to like Alaska, Elkhart. Elkhart. <laughs> yeah, when they were moving up there to the same area, they're kind of saturating this this same market. So did they have there any? Was, there was no market. They were the market. But if you're, let's say, the first one who comes up, which was at Helsin, Horian, Horian. Mm-hmm. And then your brothers come up. You might be thinking, "No, I've got something special right now. No one has heard." Oh about no! This. I mean, that's that's more people to to work. I mean, the the idea was not to compete with each other, but to grow as a, as a unit. So they didn't work. Did they have like rules? Don't move too close to me. No, no. I think I actually think that there's a lot of collaboration early on where they they taught out of the same place. I'm sure that the first school they opened, they they were in it together, and then they started branching off and doing their own things as they grew. So it was so off the grid of people that yeah. they didn't have to worry about. No, about no, that it saturation. wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. So he starts to train. Did, did he, he, did he open up a gym or was he just doing like garage stuff and maybe teaming up with his brothers for, I think he was, I think he, I think he taught out of a garage mostly. Eventually he got a place, but that was 
later. Um, and, and, you know, I think at first he was with his brothers. I'm not, I can't say for sure. Um, but, but I do think that over time, I think I know for sure, but by 92, 93, 94, he had his own place. Now I know he had dabbled it with wrestling also. Yeah, was he did. He that did. before this? Um, he did some in Brazil and then I'm sure he might've done some in America. I don't know how much because you can't really compete in, in wrestling in America. Um, once you're outside of college, it's kind of, kind of dead for you. Um, unless you're in the Olympics or something, you know? So, um, he did some in Brazil. Um, he was part of the Brazilian Olympic wrestling team. Um, not quite sure what happened there. Um, I know the other guys, other great guys like Marcus Nimbosky were part of that team as well. And, and so on. Um, the, he did Sambo, he did, competed in Sambo, dabbled in Sambo. I'm sure he dabbled in judo as well. Um, but, but, you know, briefly nothing, you know, over the top committed or anything like that. So he then, as you mentioned earlier, goes to Japan. Correct. Goes over there. For he was, he became famous in Japan. Yeah, and so I think it was 94 is when he first goes over there and is fighting. Is it Valley Tudo then when he's yep. over there fighting? Yep. What's his like introduction to Japan like? Why do, pe- why do people in Japan, why does he blow up there? Um, I mean, Japanese uh, culture has always has always enjoyed the, the tale of the great hero, right? Of, of this like gigantic, mis- you know, not, not misheads a bad word, but this gigantic... Um, this being so skilled that can't be beaten. I mean, you, you look at stories like, you know, the story of Musashi, you know, um, uh, Musashi, sorry, of, you know, all the, all the folk tales in Japan, they all involve one being, being so superior and able to do so much. And, and Hickson was essentially a foreigner that had claim to be able to do that, had the ability to do that and who was not afraid to step up, you know, uh, pro wrestling is huge in Japan. Um, maybe as big as in America because they love the mismatches. They love the, the great tales of victory and wonder spectacle. Yeah. And then here you have a guy who says, no, I can really do this. I really, I am what you guys are fantasizing about. And, 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 you know, he stepped up and he did it and people idolize him for it. And was part of a personality thing. He he is kind of like a quiet, confident. Yeah, he's he's like I think he embodies the samurai mentality really well, um, especially to them. He didn't he doesn't talk much. You know he whatever he says he's going to do, he does. He steps up. He can you know he can he can deliver on his words, and he chooses his words wisely. So, what are some of those Japanese? early fights that come to mind to you that kind of define him as a fighter? Um, the, uh, my, probably my favorite fight and a lot of people are going to disagree with it. Um, I think he fought Takata twice, maybe I'm not sure, but, but the, but the, my favorite fight is against Nakai, Yuki Nakai. Um, I, I hope I'm saying that right. And if I'm not, I apologize. Um, it was a huge mismatch. Um, this was, um, in, in uh, this fight was in the documentary Choke. Basically, Nakai was this little guy who, you know, knew some grappling, knew some some submissions. He was a shoot fighting, I believe, was his official style. And uh, he had some major wars to get to the final, where Hickson kind of dominated his way there, and they meet in the finals. And I think this was the first time where Hickson um, had a, a sizable, you know, size advantage, like a, a pre-evident size advantage over Nakai. And 
Hickson, um, you know, his, his, his corners at the time were telling him to just, to just punch him. Like the guy is all beat up. You can't really see out of his eyes anymore. You don't like to have to grapple him. And, and we should say this is a tournament where the guys are fighting multiple times that night. Yeah. So which is crazy that they used to do that. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's, that's how it makes your champion, you know, like if it's a single bout, I mean, who knows, but you have guys coming out for their next fight who just got the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, how bad, how bad do you want it? Yeah. You know, in America, they would see, well, that's not fair because they got really hurt in this fight. Well, in Japan, if you're really the best, you know, if you're really the badass like you that you say you are, you do it, you know. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, so he fights Nakai and he doesn't really hit Nakai a whole lot. Um, and, and the reason why... I like that fight. It wasn't so much because he won. I mean, he he won everything, right? But but it was more that he could have taken the easy out. He could have came out and just beat the shit out of Nakai, because Nakai is not going to submit him. Guy can't see is smaller. Hickson could have just beaten him, like physically punched him, kicked him, and he couldn't have done much to defend it. But Hickson decided to to you know epitomize jiu-jitsu and and do the gentle way where he just choked him he choked him unconscious but um but he choked him he didn't hurt him any more than he had to and you you referenced choke which if people haven't seen it you can get it on youtube now it's just a documentary yeah, yeah. that it's fascinating it's his what is it his journey to a turn tournament in japan i don't know if that is his first tournament i'm not sure um if he fought prior to that tournament or if that tournament was his first introduction to Japan. But it's just a very like intimate close-up look at the whole process from going there to preparing to the fights, mm-hmm. to behind the scenes, to after the fights. So check that out if you have not. So in 97, he fights in, it's the first Pride event, which Pride went on to become a pretty big yeah. MMA. But before uh, we get there, we got to talk about Yoji Anjo. Okay. Enlighten me, Yoji. Have you, have you not read that story? I, there's so many names I don't recognize. It's in '94. It's the one that he like massacred this guy. Okay, I'm not sure that I saw that one. Yeah, then we'll talk about it. Let's later. hear about it. Are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, okay. Before we talk about the pride, because pride was in '97. Um, before we talk about his pride days, um, I think it was 1994, maybe '95. Um, there was a whole Yoji Anjo. Um, and again, sorry if I'm butchering the name, um, like uh, infamous fight session. Basically, Hickson beat some people up in Japan in fights that were part of this group called Ring, Ring, Rings, something like that. I don't remember. Basically, this group was a group of guys that fought in pro, um, pro wrestling and in MMA. They kind of did both. They did the spectacle for the money, but they would also come out and fight. And uh, he he beat like one of their prize fighters, you know. And and so they sent this guy Yoji Anjo, um, who was a fighter in his own right. He was a pro pro wrestler, and he was a, an MMA fighter. And they sent him to um, basically avenge avenge like their loss. Okay, I think I know this. Does yeah. he come to Brazil? No, it's America. So, um, so Yoji um, announces in his pro wrestling platform stage, whatever you call it, I don't know, um, that he's gonna he's gonna get get the honor back and he's gonna beat up Hickson. And so he shows up, 
you know, weeks later, months later, I don't remember the timeline, but he shows up in around 94, 95 to Hickson's school. And uh, he basically came in with, with, with some camera people that he hired to record this event. And, uh, and he's like, you know, I'm going to, I want to fight Hickson right now. Like we're going to, we're going to fight. And it's, 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 you know, I got to defend the honor and all this stuff. Anyways, Hickson's not at the school. So, um, his students called him. Uh, I don't remember who called him. Maybe Limon. Limon was his like your right hand man at the time. Um, basically called him and said, Hey, there's this guy here who wants to fight to get his honor back. And he's like, you know, harassing people and, and all this stuff. So, so Hickson shows up and kicks all the media people out and then has one of his students record this fight session behind closed doors. Nobody was allowed in other than the, his students and the camera guy. And, um, and they were, they're gone for like 15, 16 minutes. And then Hickson comes out and there's pictures of Hickson post fight. And he looks like, like nothing, like he rolled out of bed, you know, and mm. then there's pictures of Yoji Anjo, um, who were, and people described it as he was left in a pool of blood, you know, and, and that's where like one of Hickson's most famous quotes comes out of where he says, <clears throat> if we're fighting for money, I'll stop when the, when the referees stop me, but when we're fighting for honor, I'll stop when I want, <laughs> you know, or when I'm done or something along those lines. But, um, but that, that tape was never released. So they did record the fight and it has never been made public. Where is it? Hickson has it. What? Yeah. And nobody has seen it. Um, there's a few select people that have seen it in closed sessions with Hickson. I'm assuming at his house. Um, accounts of the people that have seen the fight um, have said that the the most disturbing thing about the the fight was the level of violence generated that was completely uncalled for. And the fact that Hickson didn't seem to have any sort of emotion during the fight or watching the fight. Like there was no regret, mm-hmm. there was no like enjoyment, there was no pride. He just, it was like his emotions disappeared and he delivered a message and him watching the fights, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not excited to explain. He's not ashamed of the amount of damage he did. He's not embarrassed. He's not proud. He's just, this is just what happened, you know? So if you're going to fight Hicks and Gracie, make sure it's for money. Well, basically, I think, I think what people forget, one of, I think Hickson's greatest attribute was his mind. I don't think that anybody can dispute his ability to be mentally strong. I mean, we don't, he didn't, he, he, he had this absolute confidence about himself that was unshakable and it showed, it showed in his fighting style. It showed in this Yoshi Anjo. It showed when he got woken up to go defend his school from being invaded from Ugu Duarte and his guys, you know, so like just this unshakable confidence is this pretty impressive thing. So and maybe someday that will that'll be released. I don't, I don't think that tape will ever be released because I think more people are going to agree to the fact that there was a, a, a level of carnage that was uncalled for. Like the the accounts of the tape state that even even he mounted the guy he he, he clinched took him down like he usually does got on top punched the guy that got turned around and he didn't choke the guy he just continued to punch him back the neck back the head didn't matter he wasn't tired yet. Ugh. All right, so that 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 event happens, and then we uh, we have Pride. Mm-hmm. He has some Pride fights. While this is going on, 
we also have, well, we kind of skipped this point, and this is a huge point. Let's rewind it a little bit to what's happening with Hoist. Right. So roughly around the same time that Hickson's getting established in America and starting to travel to Japan, um, Hoist or, or Horian is putting together the UFC and Hoist gets picked to represent the family. Yes. And so Hoist, as everyone who knows anything about MMA or jiu-jitsu knows, becomes the face of jiu-jitsu for everybody mainstream. Mm-hmm. And most people just think this is... Like, this is the top guy in jiu-jitsu and MMA. Why is it that Hoist, who admittedly said, like, Hickson is, like, the top dog in the family, why is it that Hickson wasn't the one to go forward? Hickson is an intimidating dude, man. Yeah. You see pictures of him today in his 60s. He's still intimidating. Can you imagine him when he was, like, 30 in his prime, jacked? And with a sociopathic look that he he would murder you if if it was allowed, like it wouldn't it wouldn't be as impressive of a win. So that's I, I that's correct. You have a voice who's not as intimidating looking. Was that the main factor? They just wanted. I think, I think that was the biggest factor. Hoist was smaller. He was taller, but he was he weighed less. Um, he was not really intimidating. Kind of a string bean. Really. Why not do Hoyler? Because Hoyler was even smaller. Yeah, but Hoyler was was um, Hoyler was always more active in com- competitive jiu-jitsu. He also led Gracie Omaita at the time, so I believe he had more um, more irons in the fire, so to speak. Okay, so they chose Hoyce, and then was it's it's a risk you would because. Hickson, you'd say, well, why not on this introduction on the biggest platform jujitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu has had, why not be safe and just say this guy? But Take a guaranteed win versus a potential? Yes. Because the family believed so greatly in their ability in Jiu-Jitsu that it didn't matter who stepped up. Did they have a backup plan? Like, oh, what if, what if he's didn't defeated? He, he wasn't going to be. Like, there, there, there was no doubt in, in, in anybody's mind. And there was no, were there any, was there any animosity towards, uh, for that, that I should be the one who be, who should come? I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure feelings were hurt. To what extent? I don't know. Um, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure that, you know, I mean, think, think about it. If you like, if you, if you, if you have a brother or a really good friend and they get picked before you do on a, you know, dodgeball game like you're like man why didn't i get picked you know um i'm sure that happened now at the fact that you know and everybody else in the room knows you're the better guy you're the best dodgeballer yeah and then people are still not picking you like that it would get on you uh, now to what extent i don't know and 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 those things happening led hickson to go to japan you know ultimately hickson looked for a different venue to expose himself in and, and Japan provided a very successful means of for him to do that. They made comic books and action figures of Hickson. That's how that's how popular it was. There there are there are manga comic books on on Hickson. That would be a pretty cool collector's item to have. Yeah. I wonder if they're still out there. I'm sure they are. Yeah. So Hickson is in Japan. You have happening roughly here. at the same time Hoyce here in America. Hoyce has is is fighting. Hoyler starts fighting. 
Soon after, yeah. Henzo starts fighting also. Henzo, Henzo had been fighting already, I think in Brazil mostly, but yeah, he comes to America and he fights like Oleg Tartarov and a couple others, yeah. Now there's also a big drama happening amongst the Gracies in Sakuraba. Yeah, so, um, so, so Sakuraba was, you know, this guy who, this Japanese fighter who was, was a pro, pro uh, wrestler, you know, wore a mask and everything. And he was also an MMA fighter, much like the other, I don't know, he was part of the rings group, but much like those guys. Um, but Sakuraba was one of these guys that, um, that much like Hickson had this iron will where like you'd have to break him to stop him, you know, and he was this unstoppable force for a while in, in MMA. He was very successful against some great guys and he fought some incredible competition in the likes of Hoyler and Hoyce and Hyun, you know, he hands, uh, he didn't fight Hyun, but he fought Hanzo, you know, uh, he fought Vanderlei Silva a couple of times, you know, fought, you know, Chambry. Um, Sakuraba was a, was a, a very perplexing um, enigma yeah and people had always talked about Hickson fighting him but that just never happened did it? yeah it didn't happen I think the reason why it didn't happen and I think people will call it as dodging or whatever but it wasn't so much dodging um, so Sakuraba started becoming famous um, around 2001 2002 ish um, where he got a name for himself a name that could challenge Hickson's name right because you gotta keep in mind that the Japanese you know they idolized Hickson and and they weren't just gonna put anybody to fight him like you know and Hickson in his own right wouldn't fight just anybody um so by the time Sakuraba had made a name for himself and had and had beaten the likes of Hoyler and 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 Hoyce um Hickson's oldest son Hoxson passed away and it was something that deeply affected Hickson um Again, to what extent, I don't know. I'm not him. I can't speak for him, but it, it affected him bad enough. You know, Hoxson was his, his first firstborn. He was his, you know, like the world revolved around Hoxson as far as Hickson was concerned. Yeah, and, and a lot of the videos you see of Hickson around those times, you always see Hoxson there right. in choke. He's always around. Right. So you could tell there was a very close right. run. And and he was taken too soon. I think, I think Hoxson was... I think maybe 20, 21, if that, and, and, um, maybe younger, I don't remember. Um, but, um, you know, that, that, that has to affect your life. That has to change, you know, your priorities that has to change how you see the world and, and all that. And I'm not saying that Hickson still couldn't have performed well. I just think that Hickson was wise Un, you know, unlike a lot of MMA fighters, how many MMA fighters do you see that retire, come back a year later, and get the shit beat out of them because their mind wasn't in the game? Right. You know, they've been partying. They've For been, much less. Right, right. And then you have your firstborn, like, taken from you at an early age, unexpectedly. It wasn't because he was sick. It wasn't because, you know, he he he... It was just this horrible incident. And... And did so, he fight after that? No, that was he the, never. He never fought after that. I know there was a lot there. There was a lot of rumblings for a while. I mean, even the way up until like two thousand seven or eight, they yeah, still talk because there was a lot of people that. That's a little bit of the culture, that if we throw money on it, it's going to work. You know, if you throw an ungodly figure out there, anybody will fight. 
for Hickson, maybe money wasn't that important. Mm. Maybe his legacy was more important. Maybe he was self-aware that he hasn't, his head hasn't been in the game or wasn't in the game. Or in that time of his life, it was definitely not in the game. You know, I mean, who who knows? Um, it's all speculation, but I, I I don't know how much losing a child unexpectedly would affect your ability to be driven and focused and 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 you know have the resiliency to train every day and the drive to train every day and and all that. It, it takes a toll. It has to take a toll. Yeah. So we walk through kind of just some of the bullet points of his career, mm-hmm. his um, progress through the eyes of the public. Now, what kind of let's get to some like uh, ways that he affected jujitsu, some conce- uh, conceptual things. What what was what is Hickson's like style when it comes to jujitsu? What trademarks do you see like a like a Hoyler? You might say what? If you're trying to, each time we do a BJ Giants, we'll say, what did this person bring to the table? What set them apart? What can you learn from their style? What is, what is Hickson's? Hickson, Hickson was the, was the first guy to introduce athleticism to technique, but more specifically, uh, his ability to deliver pressure with great timing. So he was a guy who, um, anytime you watch him compete, anytime he get any sort of position that was beneficial to him, he was able to deliver a large amount of pressure, be it to maintain something, to control something, to pin something, very uncomfortably so. And then anytime that he could not, his timing was so impeccable that he would slip out of things or into things and, and people couldn't keep up. You know, he was this very heavy, fast moving being. What have you heard anything from people who have rolled with him? Uh, I, what the, the common trend is that it was unbearably uncomfortable from start to finish. How so? Nothing, nothing worked. Um, everything failed. There was always shortcomings. He's always faster, stronger, uh, more flexible, more agile. Um, anything that he put his weight on, it, it was crushing, crushingly heavy. That uh, there was never a, an inch given. There was never uh, anything gained. It was always on the losing side of an exchange. It sounds like walking through a maze that's constantly shrinking, and every way you turn is a dead end. <laughs> yeah, and beats you for getting the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen those mazes, but I, I feel like you'd be good at opening one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so pressure. Uh, what about submissions? What kind of sub- what submissions? So he- for a long time, back before social media was a huge thing, um, the, the first forums and things, there was the whole uh, Hicks and Gracie Byron Bar. That was your trump card. Seen that. What, what, how did that come about a lot of his victories were Byron Bar Um, he has as many victories from Rear Naked but Hicks and Byron Bar is like the the iconic trump card you can can say anything and go Hicks and Byron Bar and you win because like that's how he would win was it from mount from mount guard from back from guard it didn't matter Hicks and Byron Bar you know, and it became this like running joke in the juice community where you could present this incredulous, you know, silly thing and go Hicks and Byron Bar. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's just going to happen. Like you just have to accept it. Sure. 
now, what about his training style? Was there anything unique to the way that he'd prepare, to how he'd train? Oh, well, uh, you know, he he always ate well, trained. You know, a lot of yoga, a lot of breathing techniques. Uh, I'm sure he lifted to some extent, maybe not necessarily in a gym, but you know, body weights and things like that, calisthenics, uh, gymnastica natural, and then a couple other styles. But will you explain that? I so gymnastica natural was a it's this is a method of exercise that was developed by Alvaro Romano um, at some point early 80s uh alvaro was a black belt in his own right and he 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 basically came up with this system to that allows you to train your body to move in ways that are appropriate for jiu-jitsu but still build strength and stamina and flexibility and, and all the things you need basically it was somebody that trained jiu-jitsu that came out with a very um comprehensive calisthenic routine that is heavily applicable to jujitsu. I follow him on Instagram and he, he's just an older guy now who moves with like great flexibility. He's more mobile than I think 95% of yeah. guys his age. And he's close move. to his sixties. Yeah. So yeah. And Hickson, I think if you watch choke, you see him, him doing quite a bit of that. You see him doing that. And it, it involves whenever I think of it and see him, there's a lot of stuff like the like the animal movements right. that you're replicating, like you're doing like tiger walks and a lot of rolling right. and just fluidity. Using your body, right? Yeah. And then Hickson also, you mentioned, was did yoga, mm-hmm. a lot of breathing techniques. There's like yeah. that iconic scene in Choke where he's on the beach. Yeah, he does a diaphragm training. Yeah. Yeah, Expl- explain his diaphragm training. What, what- so, you know, yoga, there's a lot of breathing exercises. Um, Hickson believes uh, air is the most important thing, you know, and it's true, right? If, if you don't have oxygen, nothing matters, right? And, and Hickson believes that most people don't breathe correctly, don't know how to breathe. And, and, and he feels that learning to breathe correctly and appropriately allows your body to perform the way it should. It allows you to move the way you need to move. Um, my cousin Kawan said something, you know, it sounds, it sounds uh, corny, but it's very true. You know, she said something in the camp in Ireland that we were trained together. She was teaching, you know, breathing techniques and, and things like that there. Um, Kawan is, um, Hickson's oldest daughter. And, um, she said, you know, when you're scared, what do you do? You take a deep breath and hold, right? Why is it that every other animal breathes out? Like, why, why do we hold it in? Why are we the only ones to do that? You know? I don't know. Do you just kind of trying to puff my chest out and look as big well, as possible? Yeah, but do you function, right? We take a deep breath. Most of the time people run away, so that does the trick. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, so you take this deep breath and you lock up and you, you you refuse to function, where that's the reflex is to do that. But but she says you know if you look at every other animal, if you look at lions in the wild or tigers and they're getting into fights, they're breathing heavy. You look at elk fighting other elk, they're they're always breathing heavy. You can hear it. They're pushing the air out. And 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 her point was, you hold that oxygen in. There's only so much oxygen in your lungs. You're never getting more in animals push it out so that it forces them to breathe back in so you have this constant flow of oxygen and it's little things like that that you may say well that doesn't really make a difference well it does though any good um 
power and, and, and strength and conditioning coach will tell you that, you know, you need to breathe out when you're applying power and breathe in when you're not, um, because it does make a difference, you know, and, and I think Hickson was a little ahead of the curve when it came to, um, MMA and his breathing technique. I think he incorporated much earlier than most. If we sit back and look at Hickson's legacy, what, what did he do for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and their place in the world? What was his, what's the reputation that he left with? Oh man. Um, in two words or less. <laughs> that's tough. I, I think Hickson was the greatest competitive grappler of his time. And he did things. He was years ahead of the curve. Uh, years ahead of his peers and his shows. Um, this was due to physical and athletic gifts as well as mental prowess and, and determination and perseverance. But I think Hickson, um, he, so, the, the, you know, when I was younger, I thought about, okay, what, what are the changes happening in jiu-jitsu? And, and I came up with this, it's kind of like a very oversimplification of the problem, right? But you have Carlos Gracie, who learns Japanese jiu-jitsu. Elio comes in, introduces his takes on it because of his physicality. It becomes now Gracie or Brazilian jiu-jitsu based on leverage and these techniques that are unknown to people. Then it goes down to, you know, Carlson and, and Holes, and they introduce different aspects to it, whether it was the striking aspect or the open guard because they couldn't do certain things. They introduced these big things, these big concepts and components that we take for granted now and then um and then hickson comes in and what flavor did hickson add to it he added uh the athlete um attribute to it he added athleticism like a true 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 athlete not somebody who was just kind of fast no like a overall complete athlete but not only that somebody who didn't just use his athleticism to enhance his technique, but use his athleticism to change how techniques are done. You know, the amount of pressure being built, the proper timing, the kind of movements you need, where to place your weight, where to remove weight, where your battles are supposed to be. He was so far ahead of the curve that, I mean, you look at any old footage of him competing in jiu-jitsu or in MMA, these guys, they're all doing the right things or the things that they thought were right at the time. And Hickson is just so far ahead of them you know what's hickson doing nowadays um nowadays he still teaches um besides freestyle rapping i don't know if you, <laughs> I he's don't good think at he freestyle freestyle. and he said that people who are really wanting to pursue excellence in jiu-jitsu should try out f freestyle i don't think he's ever said that today nowadays he is he, i think he, he's still living in california to my understanding he um still does private classes um very select very few people doesn't take on everybody um he doesn't matter of his house i think at times he'll teach a crown school but those are uh, at random times there's no like guarantee time you're gonna see him every once in a while you'll see a seminar pop up where he'll come out and do like one or two seminars a year and, and kind of stop um i know he's working also on uh trying to create some type of governing body yeah he's been trying to create the, the global jiu-jitsu federation um and, and, and I don't know how well that's going or not going. Um, you know, the, the idea is great. 
it's just a matter of can we execute it or did did he miss his time on to strike you know like mm. the, the right technique at the wrong time is the wrong technique so if it had been 10 or 15 years ago it might have been perfect mm-hmm. now who knows I, I i don't know how successful or not successful it is i can't speak on it yeah also he did a little acting he was in oh yeah the he, hulk he's in the hulk yeah. with edward norton yeah he slept in edward norton he what he slaps edward norton yes yeah yeah, so he, he's doing that. So he, he's he's still away. Oh, he got his red belt, too, didn't he, in 2017? Yeah, he turned it down. He, and there's video yeah. of... The, they put it on him, and in the video, he, like, talks for a while about about getting the red belt. Did he ultimately turn it down? He took it off. They told him to put it back on. He put it back on, and then every other f- recording I've seen of him post that has him not wearing it, so... So he's back to his black belt? Coral belt. Or coral belt. And, and why is he... What's his reasoning for not taking the red belt yet? Claims that he hasn't had enough time. So there's a... a has he said when that time will be? No. It's not like, oh, I have to be doing it this long before I no, get it? No, for a long time, you know, in the black belt, every every three years you get a stripe until your third stripe, and then it's five years for your fourth, fifth, and sixth. So by the time you get to your sixth stripe, you've been in the black belt for 24 years. Right, and then for your seventh stripe, it's seven years. Your eighth stripe is eight years. Nine stripes would be another nine years. So you're adding on another 20-some years. Or so you have to be a black belt for 50-some years Jesus. to get your red belt. And and he's like, I, I can't. I didn't get my black belt when I was 10. Yeah. Right, but to, his, to their brother's point was he started training much earlier when he was four, you know? So... By the time that he was 10, he already had six years of training. So maybe it does take effect. It does matter then, you know, but it's semantics, really. Mm-hmm. I think when you reach Hickson's level, I mean, who's going to deny, confirm or deny what Hickson is now? I mean, who's going to question it? It's uh, it's unquestionable. Wow. So when did you get your black belt? How old were you? I was 19. 19. So you said 50 years? Yeah. So you'll have to be 69. Well, roughly 50 years. Uh, you can do the math. So you'll be around 70. Yeah. All right. So we fast forward to when you're 70. We're, we're here and... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we're still doing this. This will be like, what is that? Like 2,500th episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Okay, all right. And uh, you'll be 70. You're, let's say about, you're, are you 30 right now? Yeah. Okay, so 40 years from now. Uh-huh. So we're looking at uh, 2,059. Uh-huh. So in 2059, you are standing on the mat in new. This is the, the apocalypse has already happened, and the the aliens have come down and they've taken over. The galactic president is crowning you with your red belt because okay. he's he's also taken over jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu. Okay, all right. And Gorgon, the galactic commander, oh Jesus is, Christ, is giving you your red belt. <laughs> And he says, Kryler, Gracie, you have earned this over 50 years of being a black belt. And he puts it around you. But it's there, you're a little bitter because he also, there was the bitter, bitter war of the Gorgons and the jiu-jitsu community of, oh my of 2034. <laughs> no, and he, he, he slaughtered countless jiu-jitsu people. Okay. And so you're a little bitter because you feel like that red belt isn't quite... It's bloodstained. It's bloodstained. Uh-huh. So he puts this on you. What do you do? You're looking, and it's kind of like Star Wars, uh, end of the... Uh, and 
I think, A New Hope. When you're looking out, like Han Solo and Luke and Leia and Chewbacca and everyone are looking out over everyone and there's like a ceremony. You, you have a ceremony because most people who would be at that level were, were killed in that war. Oh, the Gorgons just wiped so I'm them like out. like the remaining, I'm like Luke in this. Yeah, yeah. But you're like Luke being <laughs> rewarded by the enemy. Oh, okay. It's like and I turned to the dark side almost. I accepted it. Almost, yeah. And so you're getting this, but you're seeing like the like the Hicksons, the ghosts of these people looking at you disapprovingly as the Gorgon commander's putting on your red bell. What do you what do you do at this moment? Well you, well, at this this way you might as well go in a blaze of glory and attack this commander of whatever he is and kill him. How do you kill him? However, I want. I mean, at that details, stage, please. details. I don't know. I'll probably choke him until I can't choke him anymore. But here's the problem. This is why the jujitsu oh community lost. <laughs> the gorgons have two ways of breathing. They breathe out of their mouth, and they also breathe out of their foot. So when you're choking his head, he's able to have oxygen. That's why the jujitsu guys lost. That's why they lost. Oh yeah. dang! So then you uh, drown him. <laughs> so okay well you're in luck there was a fountain nearby oh there was okay. yeah and so right. you dunk him all in there right. and kill him all right well that's uh but let, let's wrap let's wrap this episode up there <laughs> i was going to do a uh we're, we're gonna ha- we were going to hop over to the Gecklars and do some some role playing there but okay. i'm sorry i just felt inspired to uh well, thank you thank you to talk about the, the Gorgon War of 2034 is not talked about enough. And Clearly. so it's coming soon. Everyone prepare yeah, for it. Yeah, in 15 years. Start learning how to kill and submit someone who can breathe from two different two, two places. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. That was, that's a good that was way enlightening. to end the Hicks and Gracie Part 2 BJJ Giants episode. Have a great Christmas. I mean, we'll be back before hey, Christmas. Like next week, we're <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week. But just have a good Christmas and just get ready, get, get your shopping done. Any anything you want to say? No, no, that's it. All right, goodbye, everyone. <laughs>